0: You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee Podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Merry Christmas in July. Uh, it's good to be together. My name is Ian, the pastor here at City Church. When I left this morning out of the house, I could have sworn there were blue skies and it wasn't raining, and then I walk out to say hello to everybody before the service starts and it's raining. So I'm not sure what really happened there, but they, you know, they've heard, and you've heard it said before that if you come to church when it's sunny, you love the church. If you come when it's raining, you love Jesus. So hello, Jesus-loving people. Uh, it's good uh, to be together today. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to jump in uh, to this, I think, important series for us of celebrating Christmas all year round. Uh, we're going Wakulla County style, leaving our Christmas lights up all year long uh, for this month. So I'm going to pray for us, and we'll jump in. Our Father, we are so grateful for your love for us. And I'm thankful that the story of Christmas brings joy. That The shepherds were told there is good news of great joy that is for all people. So I'm not sure why we only talk about it a few weeks out of the year, rather than revisit it regularly, reminding ourselves that all of your promises are answered yes in Jesus Christ, that the Messiah has come for us, that we can only celebrate Easter because you kept your promises in Christmas, the incarnation, where the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that being Jesus. So we're thankful since Jesus walked this earth that he can sympathize with us, that he knows us. We're thankful he never sinned, lived a perfect life, died a death that we deserved, rose from the grave three days later, ascended to heaven, and right now is interceding for us, and will come back again one day to make all things new. So I ask that as we think about these important truths today, these amazing gifts that Christmas gives us all year long, that will lead us to worship and joy and even happiness in you, we'll believe that true happiness is found in resting in the one who looks out for us, who loves us, and who came for us on this earth. So I ask you to speak through me this morning, be with all the churches in Tallahassee as they gather, be with friends and family as they're away traveling during the summer, our college students. We're thanking for the new students who have come to town to start FSU. We ask you to connect them to our church. We ask you to get the enemy out of this place and speak through me this morning. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. 2 Corinthians 9.15. Paul's talking about generosity. He's thanking the Corinthian church for being so generous, and then he says this to them at the end of that kind of encouragement. They're being generous towards the work of the church with their resources, with their money, with their finances. And then here's what he says. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, this sermon today is not about money, but it's interesting that in thinking about that, he points them to how generous God has been with us. And he's talking about our salvation. And he calls our salvation an indescribable gift. Like what God has done for us, how he's forgiven us of our sins, how Jesus died for us, we can't even fully put words onto it to comprehend how amazing this gift is. He calls it indescribable. He doesn't even apologize for that. I mean, here's Paul, right under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the guy who knows every theological truth imaginable, and he can't even give us a word to fully make sense of it. Like here's how good God has been to us. Ephesians 2, Paul writes this, for you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. At Christmas time often we talk about gifts. Gifts are a big theme. Giving is often pushed. Let's not think about what we receive. Let's think about what we give. We're talking to kids at Christmas time, not to be entitled to be giving people. But when it comes to understanding what God has done for us, Rather than thinking about giving ourselves for a moment, we have to pause and say, wow, he has given us an incredible gift. Think of the biggest package with the biggest bow under the tree you could possibly imagine. This indescribable gift. This come out of the bedroom on Christmas morning, turn the corner, and your eyes get this big. This massive thing under the tree. Is the gift that God has given us in our salvation. And it's so huge and so large and so unfathomable that, yes, it is indescribable. It is God's gift. It's not from ourselves. It's not the kind of thing where you, your, your spouse can't wrap a gift very well. So you like wrap your own gift and put it under the tree. Anybody do that at Christmas time? <laughs> Guilty. As in, I can't wrap. It is fully. God's gift he has purchased it for us he has placed it in our lives under our figurative tree and we must celebrate that all year round so that's the big gift that's the indescribable gift it's our salvation that's what Paul's referring to when he's talking to the Corinthian church about their generosity he's saying hey the reason you're generous is because God has been so generous to us in this indescribable gift of our salvation he's given us so much so we're free now to live with open hands in our lives I want to talk this morning about what it is that Christmas here in July brings to us. Now, the easy answer is the big, huge present of our salvation. That is profound. It is indescribable. But there's more inside of that box. There's more little packages inside the massive gift of our salvation that when Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 1, where we will be this morning, what he wants it to produce in our lives is what it produces in his life, and that is Joy. And at a time where there's perpetual victimhood, where cynicism seems to win the day and gain an audience, where many people just kind of just try to get through and survive the day, joy can be easily a missing element, not just in our faith, but in humanity in general. And the solution is not to yell at someone to be more joyful. (laughs) That doesn't really work. The solution here, I believe, is to help us understand this indescribable gift and all the small gifts that are inside the larger gift. See, Ephesians chapter 1, which is where we'll be this morning, is one long sentence in the original Greek. Those first 13 verses, really from 3 through 13, I should say 14, excuse me, is one long continuous sentence. In this chapter, Paul blesses the Father. And that's a very uh, Bible way of saying things, of worshiping God. We see bless the Lord, bless his name. Blessed is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's a normal terminology in the Bible. So Paul blesses the Father for his eternally planned and graciously executed redemption, one commentator says, on behalf of all his elect in his Son, sealed to them through the Holy Spirit. And the context here is Paul is opening his epistle with genuine praise and wonder at God's indescribable grace. That's where you'll see he begins. And we can say the subtext is that this praise of God teaches us these things and how we should overflow as a result with praise as well. It's that we live our lives basically saying, Thank you, God, for this indescribable gift. Like, what does it look like for us in more than words? It's understanding what all is inside that present. So, unlike a lot of texts where the benediction is the closing, here in Ephesians 1, Paul gives us a benediction, a blessing in the very beginning. And Ephesians chapter 1 is actually on the wall outside the barn doors of this room. Because I love people when they walk, and they catch just a minute, here, everybody's kind of flowing out, a big kind of crowd together. It's hard to actually sit there and read the whole thing. But even if you grab a glimpse of it on the way out, it's important to me when I was asked, I'd have a lot to do with a lot of things in this building I'm not very decoration savvy or anything along those lines. They say, said, if you're going to have a verse and put it on the screen, what would you want? Or on the wall, what would you want? I said, Ephesians chapter one. So, folks can give praise and worship to the God who has blessed us with these incredible gifts so undescribably. Here's what he says. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. And how did he do it? It's all in Christ, not of ourselves. It's a gift. It's all Jesus. For he chose us in him. Now, as we read this, remember, it's a benediction. It's a blessing. It's a praise. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself According to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us and the beloved one. So in Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to break it down a few sections at a time, starting with verses 3 and 4. We're going to look this morning at the different gifts that are inside the gift. The smaller gifts that are all massive, but the smaller gifts that make up that large, massive, bow-on-top gift under the tree that is our salvation, the indescribable gift that Paul thanks God for on behalf of the Corinthians. And the first thing we see is verse two, we're just gonna work through it. That first gift is that we have God as Father in our salvation. He said, blessed be God, the Father, uh, our Father for us. Think about that for a minute. Not an impersonal God. Not a God who is distant. A God who is so close, he refers to himself as our father. And us as his children. Now I always want to be sensitive to the reality that sometimes the word father makes people feel a little uneasy. Maybe a father who just never could get it together or who maybe harmed you or just wasn't loving, didn't represent what a father should be. God is not like that. God is our perfect heavenly father. Even if you have the best dad in the world, he does not hold a candle to God the Father who is the perfect Father. What a gift it is that we don't just refer to him as God or Lord, but in doing so, we also can call him Father. See the gift that that is? That sinful people like us can know God relationally, like actually have a real intimacy relationally with God what should be one of the greatest human relationships on earth, a father and a child, that's imperfect in a fallen world. We have it, though, with our Heavenly Father who is our God. What a gift under the tree that our God allows us not just to call him, but to know him as Father. The second thing from verse three is we have every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. That means that God's not holding out on us when it comes to anything. Whatever you need, whatever I need to live this Christian life, he has blessed us with. So when I say things like, you know, I just need some more patience, I just need some more self-control, the reality is I have all the patience and I have all the self-control by God's gift that I need, I just need to utilize what he's already given me. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing here on earth and in the heavens as in eternal things we can't even comprehend, that we have all of it. Our Father has given us every spiritual blessing. As a father, hopefully, one of your joys is trying to bless your kids in any way that you can. That looks different in different times and places and cultures, but that reality of your kids knowing that you're, their Father is there for them, that provides for them, that has their back, that has allowed them what they need to be able to be successful. Our Heavenly Father has given us everything we need in order to be spiritually successful, why, because Jesus stood in our place. The only one who ever was perfectly spiritual, su- spiritually successful is the one who lived on behalf of us, died instead of us, and rose again from the grave. And as a result, by the spirit, we have every spiritual blessing. God is not holding out on you for anything. Everything you need to live this life, he has granted us freely as a gift under that tree. The third thing, from verse four, we are chosen by God. Think about that for a moment. In the scriptures, we see see things like, you did not choose me, for I chose you. And that word chosen is just a regular word for choosing. It's not any kind of fancy word there. It's the same word used when Jesus chose his disciples. Those those first original 12 didn't choose him, he chose them. Yes, we respond in faithfulness. Yes, we respond to God's calling upon our lives. But sometimes we need to call time out and think about how amazing the gift is that God has chosen us and that he's always chosen a people from the very beginning. This is not a new idea. The Jewish people were known in the Old Testament as God's chosen people. But now we are being grafted into the people of God. We are part of the church of Jesus Christ. We are God's chosen ones. Notice he did not do this when we believed. He didn't believe and all of a sudden God was like, oh, he believes now, she believes now. Oh, okay, I'm choosing that person. But we're told in this text but it was before, not only before when we believed, it was before the formation and the foundation of the world that God in his sovereignty not just knew what was going to happen, that he chose us to be his own. How incredible that thought is. What a gift under the tree. Yes, our salvation's a big gift, but all these little gifts inside the big present, it just helps us to see and understand the lengths that God has gone to to make us his own. I hope this brings you joy when you hear these kind of things. The fourth thing is that we are now holy and blameless. Holy and blameless. God does not hold your past over your head because he doesn't see it. Of course he knows it. He's God. He isn't forgotten, but he's erased. He has done away with it. He has made you new. You're dead to who you used to be. You're alive to someone new, and that's the new creation that God has made you. So now he sees you as someone who is holy and blameless in his sight. In the meantime, he's making you holy and blameless here on earth. It's both. Our justification declares us not guilty, that Jesus who never sinned was guilty in our place, and now our sanctification, as it is called, happens until we die. It's the daily growing closer to Christ, becoming more like him, basically working out how God already sees us. Rather than allegiance to this world, allegiance to Christ, holy and blameless. You are not saved from your sins and still walk around feeling guilty because of them. He has redeemed you from those things. He has made you new. He does not see you as your past divorce. He does not see you as your sexual sins. He does not see you as your parenting failures. He does not see you as your rebellion. He sees you as someone he has chosen in Christ, has given every spiritual blessing, and has made you holy and blameless before him. How great is this gift? It's truly indescribable. And it wasn't hocus-pocus. He didn't just snap his fingers and say, let it be so. He had to deal with sin, because we weren't holy and blameless before him. Our friends who aren't Christians, does God love them? Absolutely. But they don't stand before him blameless. They stand before him with sins to be accounted for. But we know that God is a loving God, and rather than punishing us as our sins deserve, punish Jesus in our place. So we are no longer people who carry blame. We are people whose blame was placed on Christ, and we now carry forgiveness. I love preaching doctrine, because we've got to know it. That's how joy is created. We serve a God who wants us to know who he is, and know what he's done. Verse five, number five, we are predestined. That in that choosing, God predetermined it before the beginning of the foundation, even how we can even think about the beginning, even before that, because God knows no beginning. He is self-existent forever. And there's so much mystery here, and, and I understand that. And I always wanna, I hope these doctrines lead us to humility, not know it all. And this doctrine of predestination is really linked to adoption, as is being chosen by God, as is being given every spiritual blessing. They're all linked together. So predestination to adoption, that's what we're told in the text, that he predestined us to adoption, verse 5. It says, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So notice that this doctrine is not some cold, kind of heady Abstract act of a very impersonal God. Instead, it's an active love. It's an active love of an indescribably kind, merciful, gracious, and loving God that exists for the praise, the text says, and glory of His grace. We have been chosen by God, we have been predestined to be His children through adoption into his family for his good pleasure. You wonder why Paul says, thank you, God, for your indescribable gift? These are the kind of things that are under the tree. These are the kind of things that God has done for his people. The next thing is linked, and it's, they're all linked. This one continuous sentence, remember, in the original Greek. That that were adopted. We're all God's offspring, every person on earth. The Bible's very clear, very clear, that the way you become God's actual child and the way he becomes your father is through spiritual adoption. That when you come to faith in Christ, you're adopted into his family. You become his daughter. You become his son. And the best way to understand this in the kind of first century understanding of these first hearers, these readers of this letter, it's a letter written to the church in the first century as the churches were being formed that had organized and had leadership and they'd have gatherings and they would be delivered these letters. The best way to understand this in the first century is understand adoption as sons, as linked to inheritance. So you would be maybe without a family or something of some kind of hard times would come your way, and another family would bring you in. And it wasn't just that you started eating Thanksgiving dinner with them. It's that now, like, what was, th- what was theirs was also yours. But you inherited the same inheritance the other, the biological children of the family would inherit. In Galatians 4, it says, if you're a son, then you're an heir. This idea of sonship was the first in line to receive the inheritance. And God's saying, That's who you are now. That's who you are now. You're an heir to these promises. Ba, Dr. Ba, one commentator, says that God has taken the most distant foreigners to be his kin for inheritance of his whole estate. I want to read that again. Talk about an indescribable gift. God has taken the most distant foreigners, as in those who are very far from him, is the analogy here, or the allegory, I should say, metaphor, to be his kin for inheritance of his whole estate. Think about being a slave. I know we can't fully comprehend that, obviously, or even come close to it, but in this Greco Roman world, and all of a sudden you've heard the gospel, you've given your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've even been set free. And you hear as someone who, this is your story, this is all you've ever known, that God hasn't just predestined you to be free, verse five, but also to be an heir. Imagine that moment when that clicks in your head. Well, the reality is in the scriptures that all of us were slaves to sin. Slaves to the darkness of this world. And what has God done? He's not only predestined us to be adopted, but he has given us all things. And one day we will be with him and reign for all eternity. Number seven, we see in verse six: Grace lavished on us. When I read that, I wrote in my notes: Christmas indeed. Christmas indeed. This amazing gift, and it's not of ourselves. If it was of ourselves at all, then the grace wouldn't be lavished on us. there be a little side inclusion. God kind of helping us out a little bit, kind of being our co-pilot, as the bumper sticker says, God's my co-pilot kind of thing. It's like, no, God's not your co-pilot. He's driving the car, and you're dead in the back, okay, apart from Christ. And that should actually bring us joy, because it's not up to us where so many things in our lives bring pressure upon us, provide, perform, measure up, graduate, there is no pressure on us when it comes to our relationship with God because he has given us an indescribable gift. Maybe that reality should take it to the other things in our lives where we feel so much pressure and say, yes, this is important, and I have a responsibility God's given me, but it's not ultimate. So we see this, as Ephesians 1, as one of really the biggest explosions, declarations, like firework shows of praise in the entire Bible. It's why the angels came before the shepherds and said, I bring you great news of great joy that's going to be for all people. It's why we sing songs like, joy to the world, the Lord has come. It's also one of the most theological chapters in all the Bible. And what we should take away from that is that worship of God, as in our praise of him, is always connected with theology. We don't worship an unknown God. You'll see in Acts 17, we get back in Acts next month. We do not serve an unknown God, a God who wants us to know who he is. Is our knowledge limited? Of course it is. We're humans. But he has given us in the scriptures what he wants us to know about himself. And that this theology and these doctrines should not just lead us to discussions and debates, even though those can be healthy and those can help shape you. It shouldn't lead us to merely just reading books, even though it's very helpful for your Christian faith. It should lead us to praise. To Jesus, here's my life. Lead us to worship of him. Verse 7, the next section of one continual sentence. In him... Now remind us over and over again. It's in Christ. He's the giver. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ. As a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ. Both things in heaven and things on earth in him. That he really is bringing all things together. Number eight, verse seven, we see redemption. That in that big gift with a bow on top under the tree, in that big gift are the other gifts that make up the indescribable gift. And one of those is the gift of redemption. Redemption means a secure Release by payment. So we have been released from the imprisonment and punishment of sin by the ransom payment of Christ's death that secured for us our redemption. We can see the gospel as paying a ransom note, the good news of Jesus Christ. Secure release by a payment. And that redemption brings about number nine, forgiveness. That God actually really has forgiven us of our sins. He has truly declared us to be forgiven. It's like when you're a little kid and you and your brother get in a fight and your parents make you go hug it out. And you're like, I'm sorry. Say, I forgive you. I forgive you. It's not some kind of begrudging thing. We see in the scriptures this was actually done for his good pleasure that he takes joy in the fact that he can forgive his people, that he can provide what only he can provide. We can't forgive ourselves of our sins. Now, I do think there's something you said about forgiving ourselves in terms of the practical things of life, sort of moving on and, and not staying in our sins. But in terms of our position with God, we can't undo the fact that we've sinned against him. He must do something about it if we're to have any hope. And what has he done? He has pronounced us forgiven. And that that forgiveness should drive us to be people who also are quick to forgive. Why? Because we know the size of the indescribable gift under the tree. And how much God has forgiven us. And he lets us know the great lengths he went to to do so. We see the word blood in here. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus' blood was shed. That ultimate death sentence so that we could be forgiven. Now, prior to this time, there was a sacrificial system where you would bring your lamb or your goat or your sheep to be inspected by the priest. One day a year, called the Day of Atonement, you would offer that sacrifice and the blood of that goat or sheep would be spilled on behalf of you. It was called giving atonement for your sins, which is kind of lending some forgiveness for a little while until you had to go through the same system again a year from now. Some people, because of their financial means, weren't even able to participate in the process. And here, we're being told that not only are your sins atoned for, but now they can be forgiven? As in wiped clean, clean slate, we're reconciled now? We're told in the scriptures there's one mediator between God and man, the one who brought two hostile parties together, and that is God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, in number 10, verse 9, we see a knowledge of God's will. He calls it the mystery of his will. I think one of the big main questions I get sometimes is, I, I just want to know our or, or statements. I want to know God's will for my life. God, I understand that. I get what you mean by that. What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? Who am I supposed to meet? How am I supposed to do this? When is this going to end? How long? I mean, I understand those things. It's also important we know that God has made the mysteries of his will that are really important, that he wants us to know available to us in the story of the gospel. See, the prophecies of the Old Testament pointed to Christmas. They pointed there, but they never literally told us who he would be. They hinted, they said he's going to be born in Bethlehem. There was things such as that, but we weren't, we, didn't literally, we weren't literally told. His name is Jesus, and here's his address in Nazareth. Christmas revealed it. It revealed the mysteries of the will of God that had been promised and sort of teased out and extended as an encouragement and a reminder and a promise to God's people for generations that he has now come He lived, he died, he resurrected, he ascended, and he will come again. So he knew God's will of this redemptive plan that existed before the foundation of the world. It's now understood in Christ. That's how we understand God's will, ultimately, and the story of the Bible that it's resolved and realized and fulfilled in the person of Jesus. We're told that all of God's promises are yes in Christ, as in he's the answer to everything God has promised us through generations. Verse 11, in him we have also received an inheritance. Why? It's all linked together because we were predestined. According to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. So that, there's a reason here, we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. That the ones who have become believers from then to the history of the church until Christ returns, that now we can have assurance of what exactly is under that tree and what God has done for us. And there's no mystery anymore to his will in terms of what he set out to determine for his people, which is salvation for all. Number 11, we get an Inheritance. Every spiritual blessing becomes a reality for us. Our inheritance is eternal life. Our inheritance is to be counted as the children of God, the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, like we're part of his family. Not only that, when we are in heaven, it's not just some utopia place. There's a new heavens, a new earth. We're told we get to rule and reign as his subjects for all eternity. We inherit this. In him, verse 13, you were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit. Jesus promised the Spirit would come after he left, after he ascended. The Holy Spirit has come. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel is your salvation and when you believe. So when we become believers, the instant that happens, when God regenerates us, that then faith comes into play, that the Holy Spirit immediately fills our our hearts and makes us new. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of your inheritance. Like the Holy Spirit is the sign. The Holy Spirit is the seal of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory, until Jesus comes back and redeems us once and for all, collectively and corporately for all eternity. So, that twelfth thing, that twelfth gift is that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And oh, is it a seal? God has secured it. Not our works, not our efforts. God is the one who has sealed our hearts and sealed our lives and sealed our salvation. Eric Raymond wrote this, that Ephesians 1 is a man humbling, Christ-exalting, run-on sentence that serves to distill the praise and power of God. It is interesting to note that it is the theological truth of this chapter that is the catalyst for the exemplary, exemplary praise. So here we have seen what God the Father has done in Christ for us through the Spirit. This indescribable gift that Paul lays out in detail for what has been accomplished for us in the story. Notice there's no lumps of coal in this story in Ephesians 1. Notice there's no naughty list, that God is the one who has done all the work. It is a gift so that nobody can boast. Nobody can say, "Well, I've been good this year." Instead, we say, "I am forgiven and I am a child of God. I have been adopted into his family. I have an inheritance that cannot be revoked. I have a seal of the Spirit that cannot be broken." How do we respond to that? 2 Corinthians 9:15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I hope you leave today with joy in your heart. No matter what's going on, I can't ever guarantee you're going to leave happy. Because I know there's different circumstances, different situations all across this room in our church family. Don't feel guilty or shameful about your happiness meter. But joy, joy. I want you to always leave with that because happiness can change in an instant. Joy shouldn't change if we're regularly reminding ourselves of the indescribable gift. Christians don't need less gospel, they need more. Reminders over and over again of God's faithfulness and what he's done. So when I do a sermon on a Sunday morning, I'm thinking about the person who's never been to church in their entire life and walked in the door for the first time. And I'm thinking about the, Christian, the person who's been a Christian for 50 years, longer than I've been alive. And I think they need the same thing ultimately, which is more of the good news of Jesus Christ of what he's done for us. Thank you, God, for your indescribable gift. It's for you under the tree in the biggest box of a gift of a bow that you've ever seen in your entire life. That's why we go Wakulla and leave our Christmas lights up all year long. We celebrate what God has done for us, and it brings us great joy for all people. Let's pray together. Our God, we are so grateful for your love. What a story of love it is that Paul can't even describe it. But we know it's real. We know it's eternal. We know it's existed before the foundation of the world. We know it's played out according to your perfect will to redeem a people you have chosen for yourself. So I hope those things allow us to share our faith with more confidence. Knowing it's not up to us. You're the one who does the work. We know your word tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the way you communicate these truths is through the sharing of the gospel. So I'm thankful that someone once shared the gospel with me and that I was counted among your people by your grace, by your sovereign choosing that I'll never comprehend to receive this indescribable gift. So what I ask that I'll be someone who has joy, that the people in this room will have joy not because everything worked out like we wanted today, but because eternally and spiritually and in the foundations of the world, things have worked out just fine and perfectly that we have been united with you. We have an inheritance in Christ. We are part of your family. So Lord, I thank you for those truths that we just need. And I thank you how doctrine is not just information, but it's the fuel that lets us worship you. Because it shows us who you are and shows us what you've done, what you've done. So we thank you in Christ for your indescribable gift of our salvation. And we thank you for all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing some good news about the gift of God's grace together. Thank you all.